0: Hello, everyone. This is Howard Fox, your host of the Outdoor Adventure Series podcast. The Outdoor Adventure Series celebrates individuals and families, businesses, and organizations that seek out and promote the exploration of the great outdoors. Our guest today is Edgar Castillo. Edgar is a retired law enforcement officer. He's also served in the United States Marine Corps for over 12 years, and Edgar has a passion for exploring the landscapes in search of wild birds and wild places. He documents his travels across public lands throughout his home state of Kansas and the greater U.S., hunting in open fields, walking tree lines, and busting through plume thickets. Edgar, it's a pleasure to have you on the Outdoor Adventure Series podcast. Hey, how you doing, Howard? Thank you very much for having me on as a guest. I, I really do appreciate it. I really I want to say I'm grateful that you're on as well. Uh, For our listeners, I had the pleasure of meeting Edgar earlier this year when we both attended the annual conference of the Outdoor Writers Association of America. That was my first conference. Edgar, was this your first conference? It it was my first conference as well. Fantastic. And really, I had a chance to get to know Edgar and learn more about his work and really for his interest in, you know, hunting and his specifically wild birds. And I thought, you know, One of my goals, Edgar, was to come away from that conference with individuals like yourself who would be interested in uh, recording a podcast episode. So I've achieved my goal, and so hopefully uh, we're going to help you achieve future goals for yourself. So thank you again so much. Thank you. Edgar, I'm curious, uh, before we kind of get into this conversation around your hunting interests and outdoors, can you share a little bit, uh, about your background, uh, cause I'm always interested, you know, to share with our readers, you know, how individuals get started in these, these special interests, these really, these hobbies. And, so if you could share, just spend a little time talking about that with us, I would appreciate that.
1: Well, to start off then. I was born in Central America in the country of Guatemala. We came here when I was a young boy. My father was not a hunter, was not something that was uh, popular in Central America. It was more done for sustainability as far as an added food resource. So when we came here to the US, hunting was brand new to him. And basically it it started out for him. He walked over to a neighbor and asked him what he was doing. Tom told him, "Hey, I'm getting ready to go duck hunting." A week later, my dad was out of duck hunting. It was—I mean, that's pretty much it. And then, you know, being a young boy, seeing his father, you know, doing all these strange and new, and wonderful things, I started following along, and and that's how I just kind of followed my my dad's uh, footsteps is becoming a a, a bird hunter.
0: That, I think that is fantastic, and especially. You know, your dad just, you know, walks over to the neighbor. I mean, my neighbor used to go deer hunting, all right? But I think the this idea that, you know, your dad you know walks over to the neighbor, finds out what he's doing, and, you know, in a week later, he's out there doing it. And what was it like going out with your dad and, you know, your neighbor and then some just to getting out there into the open fields or in the woods and going hunting? What was it like?
1: Well, it was a brand new experience. And well, let me back up real quick. A week later, my dad was out duck hunting. And then I think shortly after that, the story goes, he was also introduced to deer hunting and someone shot a deer. And my dad turned out to be very allergic uh, to venison meat. So because of that, he never got into big game or deer hunting. He just, he just stayed at doing upland and waterfowl. So that's why he became so passionate about that. And again, that's why I, why I started doing that as well. But to answer your question, it was, it was brand new to both my father and I. We, we hadn't been here very long. There was a language barrier with my father. I already knew English because we had to in school. But for me to experience, you know, the, the variety of elements, temperature, you know, I was used to, you know, bombing. 70 degrees and 60 degrees where we live, you know, and then we come here and now we're out, you know, in the, in the dead of winter, sitting in the duck line, waiting for some ducks to come in. And that's so why I had to get used to uh, the weather and the temperature and all that. But I, I took it all in. And as soon as I experienced it, I, I knew I was hooked.
0: Wow. That's fantastic. Now you have been hunting birds pretty much since then, or did you take a respite through the, the military or law enforcement or have you been, just been consistently doing this wherever you could
1: there was a break in the action as uh, old teenage boys girls best friends and cars came into the picture uh, not necessarily in that order right and, i knew you uh, were
0: going to say that by the way edgar i yeah. did know that and
1: so you know th- there was times when you know when my father like i, I would see him get ready i knew what was going to happen and And, you know, I opted to go and do something else. So during late junior high, definitely high school, I was, I did not participate in in, in going out with my dad. And I I wish I would have, but as soon as after college, I joined the Marine Corps and then I came back on my first deployment. The first thing that we did was to go out pheasant hunting. And then since that time, it's been uh, a constant uh, thing in, in my life.
0: That's fantastic. Now, as I have been getting to know more about you and your work, and I have to admit, if I go outside my front door, there's birds everywhere. All right? Even here in, in Las Vegas, there's birds. This idea that there are wild game birds out in the fields, perhaps even in the desert or in the Midwest, the Kansas, of Kansas, where you're at. I lived in Michigan, Chicago. It never really dawned on me that there are wild birds that individuals would go looking for to hunt. Now, I know about duck hunting and that sort. When did you begin to focus on, or perhaps you didn't, the the focus on the type of wild bird that was really of interest to you?
1: Well, I, when I first started hunting, obviously I, I I was doing with with what my father was doing here in Kansas. We had we had pheasants, bobwhite quail, and, and prairie chickens, and you know obviously waterfowl and doves. So that's for a long time, for many years, that's all I I knew. And you know, as I was growing up, I would follow my dad. We would go to a local gun shop where he would buy his his shotguns and hunting licenses. And I would always, you know, peruse through the, the hunt magazine. So I knew there was other game birds out there. And if you look at, you know, American history, wildfowl, you know, turkey and grouse and partridge, and woodcock and quail have always been intertwined with sustaining, not only native Americans, but the early settlers. And it's just, especially during the thirties and forties, it was very popular. And so, I got into reading and, and doing the historical side of the upland hunting, and that that's what carried me into learning that there's other game birds outside of what's here in the state of Kansas, and that's what sort of my my kick on trying to travel to chase these other birds in these other you know wild places. Okay,
0: and I have to ask you—you you and I were chatting just before we hit the record button, you asked me how was my Thanksgiving and you know I've shared it. And for me, Thanksgiving has always been the turkey. Sometimes it might like, get the wild turkey. If we're really getting creative, it's 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 <laughs> a, a fried turkey, you know, it's in that big pot of oil. And hopefully you don't burn down my house. What did you have for Thanksgiving dinner this year?
1: We we had we had a turkey, but we also we always try to add a game bird, one or two that either you know I've shot or my dad. but uh, it's typical for us during Thanksgiving and Christmas to add usually it's pheasants and quail, and then prairie chicken. Most of the other birds that I shoot we usually eat out in the field anyway, so they don't make it they don't make it they don't make it back home. they They get eaten pretty quick,
0: okay. now, by the way, Edgar, i and as all my listeners know, I'm a very opportunistic podcaster. You just mentioned you and your dad. So I would love, if you wouldn't mind, I'm sure you have it somewhere on Facebook or your Instagram page, a picture of you and your dad out there in the field hunting together. Yeah, I can get you that. All right. I I knew you would. But I figured (laughs) I'm going to ask it right now because you mentioned it, and that way it wouldn't slip my mind. Yeah. So a question just back about Thanksgiving. Now, does your, who cooks the, who cooked the bird and and in, in the, in the wild birds? Who cooked them? You or your uh,
1: Oh, no, it's, it's my wife.
0: Okay. All right. Yeah,
1: my wife and my mother, they're, they're the cooks. They're the ones that prepare the, the, the meals and, and I, I clean the birds and, but I, I did this year kind of dive into preparing the birds myself with the help of my, with the, with the help of my wife. And it's going very well. So next year, my goal is to, to take care of that. Okay. Okay.
0: Now, by the way, again, I'm an opportunistic podcaster. If there's a recipe your wife or your mother perhaps want to share with the wild birds, we can definitely put that up on the show notes or a link to it if you've got it elsewhere. So I'm all about food, by the way. Besides. Yep. yep. Okay. All right. See, we're covering a lot of ground here, Edgar, this is important. This is important stuff, you know? Yeah. When you began to really, you know, get out of the state and and, and discover other uh, species of, of game birds, what were the, what advice would you give to an individual who wanted to follow in similar footsteps? I mean, you had the, the benefit of growing up with your dad and this kind of, you know, Being with him and as his interests evolved, so did yours to where you are today. But if you're a a new person, maybe they come across this podcast episode and it's like, hey, I want to do that. What kind of advice would you give them to get them started in exploring this this sport?
1: Excellent question. And I I get that question quite a bit. You know, I I would say the easiest way is, you know, first find someone, whether whether that's, you know, Whether you know someone personally or through through some contacts, you know now we have social media. I I get contacted quite a bit through Instagram uh, from individuals who are wanting to get into upland bird hunting. But there are several organizations out there: Pheasants Forever, Quail Forever, Ducks Unlimited, and I can go on and on. But you know those groups are made. You know they're they're there uh, to help. People that are wanting to get involved in conservation and habitat, but they're also there to mentor new individuals wanting to get into hunting. So I would say find someone or find an organization and then get plugged into that. And if not, you know, there's a there's a lot of groups, local associations that you can reach out and find that'll put you into contact, tell you what you need to do. And and they even outfit you and tell you, you know, as far as like what you have to have as far as requirements to legally hunt and whatnot.
0: The, the licensing aside, because I'm sure there's state licensing, maybe there's even local licensing. Licensing aside, what is the approximate, you know, within a, I don't know, a couple hundred dollars investment that someone... Would have to make to get out there and and begin the hunting let's assume he or she is with you know a more experienced hunter as a group but what kind of investment are we looking at
1: you know just just as with anything you're gonna at some point you're gonna have to you know invest a little bit of money obviously but like like again to go back on myself when i when i get asked hey you know do you mind taking me out i've been doing this for a long time so i've got plenty of gear and if you find someone um, that's that's been around and that has accumulated all that gear, you can get a shotgun and a vest p- rather easily. But as far as purchasing, all you need you need a good pair of boots and, and a shotgun. And I just say you don't you know a basic shotgun. You're you're talking a couple hundred dollars and a good a good decent pair of waterproof boots, and you're set. And then you know you can find a secondhand bird vest probably under 40 bucks, and that and that's all you that's all you need but you know as, as with anything as you get more into it you're going to find that you know comfort plays a factor into it and then that's where you know if, you, if you, you, know, you want a nicer shotgun you want a nicer vest you know that's when all those things kind of come into play okay but very basic very basic
0: Okay, so really, the, it's not a huge barrier to entry, and like, but you are no. so right. I mean, once you get started, and the interest grows, then so does your your investment. What I love about your sport, and I would put fishing or angling in there as well, is your sport is incredibly colorful. Which mean, you know, for me, I'm saying thinking visually, if I was photographing you. With your, your family, your friends out there hunting, everything from hold the gun, the vest, the hat, the colors of these wild upland birds out in the fields. I mean, you talked about, you know, in the, your prep for the show, and I added in show notes that walking in open fields, tree lines, and plum thickets, there's just so much color and variety, you know, from all aspects of this sport. And I, And I think that's what really amazes me and it, it really interests me, because it you know the, you're not just doing this activity, but there's so much other you know, food for your senses, so to speak. And right. it, it, what, what, what has that done for you? Just the fact that you're out in these open fields and your nature and the colors, the smells, the sounds, what's that done for you?
1: Well, for me, obviously, when I was when I was growing up with my father, you know, I, I loved being outdoors. We were an outdoor family. But it started changing for me after I joined the Marine Corps, and then when I became an officer. For me, the uplands um, was a way for me to s- sort of deal with what I was what was going on at work. You know, to it wasn't it, it wasn't to get away from my family by no means, but it was for me to uh, just refresh myself in not having to deal with all the, the the evil and the ugliness that i had to deal with on a day-to-day basis for me the uplands was for, it was for, it was a place for me to get away and just restart my life and just being out in the outdoors people that know me i if, if i get a bird if i shoot a bird that's fine if i don't i can walk all day long come home and tell my wife um that i had a great day and she knows that 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 I don't have to have a bird in my bag. I don't have to shoot limits of birds or anything. That That is second for me. For me, it's just being with my friends, um, experiencing, you know, just the outdoors, you know, and like you said, especially with the guys that I hunt with, we're, we we work together, so we're all on the same page, but we, we find ourselves, you know, as we're hunting to stop and just, watch sunrises and sunsets and just sit there and and see all the colors of the landscape that is what what brings a smile to me because that's what i remember doing with my dad when we first came here to the u.s because it was all new to to us okay
0: so i have a question i want to ask it it, it you mentioned it a couple times is the uplands can you define what you mean by that? Because I grew up in, in an urban setting. The closest I've ever been to anything other than that is here in Vegas because I can go out to the desert whenever I want. What, is, what it defines uplands for you? Can you share that?
1: When I say the uplands, it, it's, it's, it involves a wide range of environments, especially here in Kansas, the uplands to me is Rolling grassy hills, tree lines, uh, not necessarily forest, old farmsteads, transitional places where riparian fields or meeting with old ag fields. But the uplands also referred to when I'm, you know, I I hunted in Colorado in in late September and October, we were hunting dusky grass and sage grouse. You know, I was in the uplands you know, chasing sage drives, even though it was a completely different landscape and different uh, environment, and different habitat. Uh, upland birds in general are just, you know, game birds that are, um, you know, on the open wide fields, you know, like from rocky mountains to desert fields to, you know, corn and, and, and wheat fields here in Kansas. You know, you have a wide gamut of, of, of environments and, and habitat.
0: Okay, okay. So I have one more, another question is, as I was prepping for the notes for today's conversation, in one of your sites, you use this term about clues to determine areas for, and these were the words, loafing, feeding, and roosting. So those words I imagine are very familiar to you. Yes. And when I saw the word loafing, I got to thinking about, you know, when I was a kid. I was just loafing around. I mean, my mom wanted me to go outside and play or get out of her hair, but I was just loafing around. That—that that was immediately what came to mind. Can you help define what those words mean in in relation to, you know, the the bird hunting?
1: Well, you're you're exactly right. A, a place where birds loaf is going to is going to be a place for them to just kind of hang on, relax. I mean, to put it simply, for for roosters in the in the early morning, those who chase pheasants, a roosting area is going to be a place, probably thick grass, where they're going to be roosting overnight. And then they will walk out to a feed field or a, a place to feed, you know, where they ha- they can have, find and locate some food. And then after they eat, what do we do? Just after Thanksgiving, after we gorge ourselves, we're going to go find some place to relax and loaf around, and that's same thing as far as birds. You're going to go to a place. It may be a roosting type area as well, but they're going to they're going to go to a place where it offers protection from uh, avian predator birds, place out of the wind if it's snowing or rain, if it's windy for protection and cover. B- basically, th- I mean, you you pretty much define the word yourself, but. Okay okay so p- pretty simple all right
0: one another question i'm curious about is, as i was reading and listening to some of your work is you seem to glean glean i don't know if that's a which which one is the right word information about the bird and where it's been you know you once you've hunted it okay so you've captured you've you've gotten the bird but then you, you you go and you pick it up. By the way, I want to talk about dogs. We're going to, we're going to get that's going to be next. You you got you have the bird in hand. What are you learning about this wild game bird as a result of having it in your hand and inspecting it?
1: I think you're referring to probably one of the latest articles that I, I wrote for uh, Hunt to Eat. But we always check. It's always a good idea for hunters to check uh, whether they're hunting birds the crop or the crawl, which is a, a a sack-like feature underneath their neck where these pretty much store some food. I, uh, think of it as as a pantry, and you want to inspect those to see what they're eating because that's going to help you determine the the type of habitat or where to find other birds. Case in point is. I was hunting out last week and we shot a couple of bobwhite quail. And uh, as soon as we shot them, we inspected their their crop and uh, we found uh, a bunch of uh, insects and Milo seeds. And sure enough, you know, about a a field over was a a field of uncut Milo. So we knew that was a place, uh, a food source. And you know, that would be a place. If we hadn't found the Milo, that would be a place for us to kind of locate look on our on maps and 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 check out the area to see, hey, what's what's close by what they're feeding on. And, you know, as well as the insects is to see what they're feeding on, because as you're walking along, you're kicking up a lot of grasshoppers or whatever bugs and you want to see what kind of what kind of insects they're eating because if there's grasshoppers and those bugs around, you know, probably it's
0: pretty good location to to hunt birds. Fantastic. Now, when you hunt the bird, and you've, you've got it, and you're going to prep it for cooking, so I imagine you're going through this process of cleaning. We don't have to go into that, especially if you get into a lot of detail for the, the squeamish, perhaps me. How are you and your friend's family enjoying this, this bird for for your meal?
1: Well, I mean... You know, after we at the end of the day, you know, we always store our food in freezers. And like I said earlier, uh, uh, most of the most of the birds that we we shoot, we tend to eat out in the field. But the ones that do make it home, you know, it's just you know we properly store it in freezer bags. And uh, and then when the time comes, you know, depending on what we what kind of dish that we're going to make. Just kind of there's all kinds of dishes out there, from Mediterranean to Spanish style dishes that you could use these birds in so it's just you know whatever 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 dishes that you like to, to eat you, it's it's not going to be hard to find something to use, it, whether it's a pheasant or a
0: quail or, or some type of browse now out in the field where you're, where you're eating it how are, are you put it on like a, a spigot or cut it up put it in a cast iron skillet how's that how is that working for you
1: we we do from very basic, very primitive to uh, a couple of us bring a little stove and yeah, just kind of cook it up and use what we got. Two years ago, we were we were being filmed for for a short film, and you know we wanted to do a big uh, fancy meal, and you know all we had was uh, Cheetos and uh, my best friend Hutch, who's a, a self-taught chef. Um, you know, started telling us, hey, I, I need everyone to start, you know, crunching up these Cheeto bags because we had a bunch of Cheeto bags that we were sacking on, and he made this uh, Cheeto crust and made some pan-fried pheasant and quail, and, you know, they were bright orange, but I'll tell you what, it's was probably one of the best pheasant uh, dishes I've ever had in my life. It was just, you know, had that cheesy flavor, but he, he was able to use what we had on hand to create a meal and, you know, he cooked up some potatoes and it was, it was, it was amazing and lucky because they got it all on film and, but yeah, sometimes we're just plucking the birds and just kind of cooking them over over an open fire and, and just eating it that way.
0: Oh my God. You know, you are making me hungry and you're, and I'm also thinking, okay, am (laughs) I in good enough shape that I can go hang with Edgar for a weekend? (laughs)
1: Any anytime you ever want to come out, I'll, I'll get you on birds, or if you just want to uh, follow along with the camera and just kind of see what what it's all about, got an open invitation.
0: That sounds like fun. I am again, I'm an opportunistic guy, and so I'm going to take you take you up on that one. All right. When you guys are out there, are you you have dogs with you? We do. We we we, we hunt with dogs. Yes. Okay. Tell us more about that. What's that like?
1: Well, the, the group that I hunt with, there's about four or five of us, are a pretty tight knit group. And we run uh, a series of bird dogs pointers. We've got drafts and boisterous hares. We've got GSPs or German short pointers. We've got guys that have Labradors, guys with, with setters. So, we're, we're very lucky uh, hunting behind a, a mix of dogs that do a variety of, of things, whether it's pointing, retrieve, or flushing.
0: Okay. Now, do you have your, your own dogs? Actually, I, I do not have a, a bird dog, which takes a lot of people aback
1: because it's, I'm such a passionate bird hunter, you would assume that I had a bird dog. I I, I did have... Uh, a bird dog but at the moment i i do not okay. but i i'm fortunate to have buddies that do have bird dogs but i also hunt a lot on my own without a bird dog and i do very well okay okay
0: i think that relationship it, it fascinates me and i had pat ray and he, he, i'm sure you met him at, at yep. the conference we published an episode last week and about his chucker hunting have you been chucker hunting
1: no i've not but i talked to pat and it, there was an open invitation so i'm just I, i'm trying to finagle my way to get out there sometime next season but uh, right. it, it looks excruciating and pretty physically demanding but i'm up for it
0: i came away with feeling that same way but he and he has his his, his two dogs that are with him so yep. that would be that'll definitely be fun and and what i thought about this sport and you said, you know, you, you've gone out on your own, you've been successful. However, the what I love about the sport is it lends itself to, you know, the hunter and his or her dog. And I I love that relationship because that's, you know, these dogs are in their natural element based on you know whether you're like you said they're pointing, you know, retrieving or flushing out. How do you begin to turn these experiences into the written word.
1: Well, it's it actually just it all came about just by by accident. It was about four years ago. Um you know I, I mentioned earlier when I was a, a little boy going to the, like the gun Shop with my dad and, and and looking through magazines. I think I was just like anyone else is as I looked through those magazines and those photos of those dogs and those birds, I envisioned myself, man, I, I could do this one day or I would love to do this one day. But then the reality set in that, you know, there's, you know, I'm not a writer uh, by trade, by by uh, by uh, teaching or by schooling, education or anything uh, such as that, but four years ago I got introduced to social media instagram and and the opportunity fell into my lap. I was asked to write something, and then just from there it just kind of blossomed, and it's just spiraled um out of not out of control but it it's uh, it's been very well for me and then I've been able to share my stories and you know personal experiences as well as advice to to others and and I really enjoyed it. Where are you able to
0: post your work to?
1: It's been for a variety of magazines, a e you know e magazines Mm -hmm. uh, and websites and blogs. But yeah, I've written for Project Upland, uh, Pheasants Forever, some European journals, uh, and a host of others.
0: And how did you come to discover the Outdoor Writers Association of America?
1: You know, it was. Probably about a year and a half ago, I was, as I started getting more involved in the outdoor writing, I'm one of those guys that if I'm going to get involved with anything, I want to be the best that I can be at at something that I'm going to be doing. And so I was looking for something that could provide me with some information. There was hardly anything on the internet, or at least I just couldn't find anything when I you know, Googled outdoor writing because I wanted to learn you know, the ins and outs, the had to get behind and how to do, you know, all these little things that go behind with the outdoor writing about invoices and, and managing everything. And, and I, I couldn't find nothing out there. And then I came across by accident, the Outdoor Writers Association. And, I, I, I sent an email and then next thing I know, I had uh, Chez, the director, reach out to me and, I didn't, I didn't know who he was at the time. And, and we actually spoke about four or five times exactly a year ago. And then when he, our last conversation, I remember him telling me, you know, Edgar, I, I think the Outdoor Writer Association is what you're looking for. And this is what we have to offer. And so I joined up and, you know, I, it, it's been wonderful. It, it had everything that I was looking for.
0: That's fantastic. And this being like me, your first uh, annual conference, what were your big takeaways there?
1: You know, just like anything in any career, in any profession, especially like in law enforcement, you know, networking is, is pretty much everything. You know, it's a top thing. Uh, I walked away, you know, you and I connected, obviously we're doing this now, but I, I walked away with a lot of contacts, made new friends, as well as uh, some writing opportunities that came about from uh, from attending the conference. And I think you and I, you know, we, we attended several classes or breakout sessions to improve our craft. So I want the way, how, how to improve my writing skills, as well as new ideas on, on what to write about, as well as just improving my overall craft.
0: Definitely that, definitely that. What kind of advice? would you give I mean to an up and coming outdoor writer and you're relatively new at this and it's I mean some of the folks you and I met have been made entire careers out of it oh yeah yeah well what advice as somebody who's new someone who has a passion about an aspect of the outdoors and the outdoor adventure hunting etc what advice would you give to someone who really you know that they really take an affinity to what you have been doing and want and want to do it themselves
1: i would say again find someone who's doing it whether they're new or you know very well experienced and find someone and then pick their brain and and and, and use them as a mentor because that's what i was looking for that's what i lacked and i found it in the outdoor writer yeah, just you know, keep at it because, like I said, I I was that guy that said, man, there's no way I could ever write something for a magazine. And then lo and behold, you know, I got lucky and I kept at it, and you know, and then I now I've got magazines and people contacted me. Hey, you know, do you are you interested in you know writing a piece for us? And and through that, I've I've met more people, and it, those opened up more doors. So I would say, yeah, just find someone that's that's an outdoor writer or a photographer or a podcaster, you know, whatever, whatever, whatever they're involved in or whatever their interest is in and sit down and talk to them and see how they went about getting, getting into it and then using that to build a platform to get involved or get into outdoor lighting. Okay.
0: As you look back on your career, well, not really your career in, in law enforcement or the military, but look back in your affinity for the outdoors, spending time with your family, your father hunting with your and with your friends, and now the writing. As you look back, what is one or two like big surprises? Like, oh my God, I can't believe I get to do this. Anything to kind of jump out at you, where you've like. You know, stopping your footsteps and go. Oh wow, this is cool stuff.
1: It, it would have to be being labeled as a, as an outdoor writer. You know, we talked about this earlier, and it's it, to me just someone saying that it, it just it still feels funny. But when I I just got a magazine uh, in the mail just a couple of days ago, and I had a story from a Arizona trip from three years ago, and. You know, my wife was like, you know, you know, congratulations. You know, I'm very proud of you. And I just, I can't believe that, you know, I'm opening up a magazine there and the photography and the words that I that I wrote, you know, are, are staring right back at me. And I'm able to share those experiences and hopefully encourage someone else to either write or get out there and bird hunt or just get out outdoors and just chase your dreams. So it just the the whole outdoor writing aspect of it. it's just it's still new to me and i just i can't i i can't believe i can't believe that i'm here talking to you you know no one When it's just it's, it's very strange
0: okay now by the way this this is the coach in me edgar because that's the other part of my life you're gonna have to stop saying i can't believe i'm no one yeah okay you gotta get that out of your vocabulary today Starts today, buddy. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Right. I, I know that I, I, I'm a very, I'm a You're very, humbled. very proactive. You you find if you knew me when I was a, an officer, I'm a type a personality. I am. I was like that as a Marine. I was very successful as well, as well as a, as a detective and a task force officer, but this, this thing, I just, and then going to the conference and seeing all these people that are around me, I'm like, what am I doing here? I am just way out of my element. So yeah. You're, you're right, but I do know. It's just, I, I don't like, I, I don't like the spawn light and well, I just, I don't feel like I'm.
0: Get get used to I'm it, my friends. Get used to it. Yeah. All right. I'm curious, any other adventures coming up that you're looking forward to where, I mean, you've, com- you've got the writing, obviously with the wife, you got the cooking and the, and the, <laughs> the, the, the hunting, anything else coming up that's really going to further kind of expand this, this new, this new area for you, just kind of bringing it all together.
1: Not really. I mean, I'm, I'm continuing writing. I'm writing for various magazines. Um, I, I mean, obviously I'm going to still be bird hunting, but as far as, cause I've tied the bird hunting and the outdoor writing together. We do have a fit when I say we, my friends, we have a, a short film coming out through Project Upland where we were featured. So that'll be coming out soon, hopefully. And we did a short film last year with the Kansas Department of Wildlife and Parks where they showcased the diversity. So uh, I got asked to, 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 to do that. It's a short little three minute clip, but because of that, that was very successful. We're looking into maybe branching out and doing, doing more of those types of filming hunts and short videos, but we'll see what happens. But for right now, I, I, I'm content with, with what I'm doing
0: that sounds great that sounds great and you know anytime we can spend time outside with friends family and getting exercise do things we love i mean that that really that's what life should be about not just uh, working for a living yeah edgar if our listeners would like to learn more about you and your work where are the best places for them to go well
1: I'd probably the easiest way would be just, you know, just do a quick Google search of my name, Edgar Castillo, and then type Upland hunting behind it. And you'll get a, a slew of things, articles, uh, and podcasts that I've done. But probably one of the the one of the biggest uh, places that you could find most of my content material is Project Upland with my name behind it, Edgar Castillo, and you'll see all my articles uh, that I've written for them.
0: Okay. Fantastic. And I know you're on some of the top social sites like Facebook, Instagram, and also you have a LinkedIn profile as well.
1: Yep, correct. Instagram would probably be the easiest place to find me uh, as far as my photographs. And then I also put out uh, the content material
0: that I write. I promote it on there. But yeah, either Facebook, LinkedIn, or Instagram. Fantastic. And yeah, I'm just a very... Again, grateful to, to have you on the show and can make for another fantastic episode and really appreciate you taking the time to join me today, Edgar. Well, thank you, Howard, for having me on as a
1: guest. And hopefully I was able to answer your questions and provide a little bit of entertainment and, as well as some information to your listeners. And and if anyone has, has any questions, feel free to reach out to me. And if there's anything I can do for you, Howard, just let me know and I'd be more than happy
0: to you. Well, I do appreciate that. And again, I the, just think of this as the growing relationship, good friendship, and really anytime I and my listeners learn something new, and that's the goal, make the world a better place and take care of ourselves, our family, our friends, and just to be good out in the environment, in yep. nature. So thank you so thank much. You. Stay on the yep. line. We're going to do a quick close and you and I can have a final chat, okay? All right. All right, folks, we have just been chatting with Edgar Castillo. He is an accomplished outdoor adventure writer, and his specialty is in the, really in the the whole area of, of hunting out in the wild, landscapes for wild birds in all these wild places, not only in his home state of Kansas, but also in the U.S. as well. So, hey, you know, wherever there's an open field, tree lines, you know, thick thickets. If there's wild birds out there, chances are someone like Edgar is going to have some interest in perhaps having a visit. And, you know, we learned a little bit about what it takes to get into this hobby. Some of the lessons learned about once you, you know, you do happen to uh, get your your wild bird and, you know, what to, what to look for when you, you pick it up. We've talked about little bit about cooking, you know, how he's preparing with his wife, either at home or with his friends out in the field. One thing we didn't ask him, and I probably should have asked, ask Edgar, I'm going to ask you right now, does your wife go hunting with you? I know she does not. Okay. All right. So, well, we found that out too, but <laughs> she's probably, well, we know she's got to be an accomplished uh, uh, cook and with also with his mother, you know, preparing these wonderful meals. So we're going to definitely try to finagle a a recipe as well, as well as some pictures of Edgar's adventures. Folks, we hope you enjoyed today's episode of the outdoor adventure series podcast. You know, these are the types of episodes we look forward to, you know, folks out there really pursuing their passions, their interests. And, you know, the big tie back here is Edgar and I met at the outdoor writers associations annual of America's annual conference this past October and, Jay Peak, Vermont, what a wonderful place. And really uh, grateful to have Edgar on uh, the show as well. Okay, folks, you can find us on the outdooradventureseries.com website. That's our new websites devoted to these outdoor adventure episodes. You can also find us on Facebook and on LinkedIn. The episodes are still gonna post on the Success Insight podcast pages there. We are also on the major podcasting platforms Google Podcast, Apple Podcast, Amazon Music, Audible, and Spotify, where we have the Outdoor Adventure Series playlist. Eventually, we'll have uh, podcast platforms devoted to the Outdoor Adventure Series, but right now, those two can be found by just searching for Success Insight. If you enjoyed this episode or any other episode we want to hear from you, uh, please send us a note. You know, Let us know what you thought of the episode. And if you have some ideas for other episodes, we wanna hear that as well. If you have stories that you would like to share, very similar to the one we just did today with Edgar, we'd love to hear from you. If it's a good fit, we'll definitely invite you to come on and record an episode with us. I think uh, once this episode drops later this month, we're gonna be well over uh, 100 episodes this year. I think we're gonna be close to about 116-ish, some somewhere in that vicinity. So it's been a busy year, but we have thoroughly enjoyed ourselves and what we've accomplished, especially with this outdoor adventure series. Okay, folks, wherever you are, whatever you're doing, go out there, have a phenomenal day and we will see you on a future episode of the outdoor adventure series podcast take care now